Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of Alzheimer's Speaks Resource website, blog, and radio. And my passion is to educate the world about Alzheimer's and memory loss. And that came to me through my mother's 30-year journey with dementia. For those of you that are new to our show, I just want to give you a brief introduction as to the Alzheimer's Speaks Radio program. Our goal here is to give voice to those afflicted with memory loss and empower them to live purpose-filled lives. We want to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real, everyday life stories that living with Alzheimer's disease has. Our channel expert, Rick Phelps, who actually has the disease, may or may not be with us today. We always kind of play that by ear. Um, but if he if he chimes in, we will definitely introduce him, and I'm sure he'll have some questions or comments to make along the way. On our homepage, of course, you can always find links to contact us. If you decide you um, would like to ask a live question, all you have to do is call into the number if you're listening on the web, and that number is 714-6, I'm sorry, 714-364-4757. That's 714-364-4757. And then you just have to push one and you'll get into my queue so that I can take your call. If you're on the web, you can always use the chat box to ask a a question or to make a comment. And so with that, a little housekeeping out of the way, I want to introduce our guest today. I'm very excited to have Laura Beck with us. Laura is with the Eden Alternative, which is a... um, it's a huge, wonderful, international nonprofit organization who has focused on creating quality of life for elders and their care partners. Um, currently, she holds the position of Learning and Development Guide for the organization, and she actually began, uh, began her, her work with the Eden Alternative, developing a way to apply the Eden Alternative philosophy to home and community-based care. As a daughter of an Eden-nurtured elder um, who lived with Alzheimer's disease for 10 years, she really has that firsthand powerful experience of how it affects that person-directed care and how it impacts their life as an individual. So her personal journey um, with her own aging parents and her young son, Ethan, um, really inspired her. Um, and in her professional commitment to change the culture of care via creative um, and supportive um, intergenerational communities. So with that, I, I again, I am so thrilled to have you here, Laura. Thank you uh, for taking the time to be with us today. Is there anything you'd like to add to your bio there? No, I think you did fine. <laughs> that was great. Oh. Um, I think the only thing I might add, Laurie, if it's all right, is I know that um, there are a lot of buzzwords out there for folks, and it may not have a lot of meaning for people to hear the expression person-directed care. And I just thought I would throw out there that when we talk about person-directed care in our industry, we're talking about, you know, creating a culture of care that is structured around the unique needs and preferences and desires of a particular person. And by using this approach, what happens is that the decisions and actions around care end up honoring the voice and the choices of that person in question, no matter what challenges they live with, whether it's dementia or otherwise. 
Um, and you know, person-directed care is a concept that's part of a larger global movement in our industry called culture change. So you might hear me mention that a couple of times during the course of our chat today. Just wanted folks Wonderful. to know a little bit about that. Well, great. I, I'm glad you said that because that's one of the things we we get so used to using our our lingo out there, and it's important to explain things as we go. So please uh, please feel free to do that throughout the program there. Um, Laura, to start, if you can just give us a little more insight as to kind of your personal um, history as a daughter um, with a parent who's had dementia, uh, what was that like for you? Well, uh, it was quite a journey. Um, Dad passed away in 1998 after living with Alzheimer's for 10 years. It was a very long road for him. He physically was a very strong man. Um, He had no other um, illnesses or uh, challenges that, you know, cut his process with the disease short. He really moved through every stage um, of that experience, and we as a family um, walked with him, you know, on that journey. You know, the interesting thing about my relationship with the Eden Alternative is that I didn't come to this organization as a professional or as an employee. I actually discovered it as a family member. And during the end of Dad's disease process, um, when, you know, he'd been home for a while, there, you know, that in itself is a story. Um, but toward the end, you know, back in the 90s, I would say that the resources available to families were not quite what they are now in terms of supporting someone who's living at home and the family that, you know, loves and supports them as well. And we got to a place where we really felt like we needed more support than what we could provide, and we were looking to skilled nursing options. Um, and I think like so many families, you know, we were just sort of wandering in the dark, not really knowing what to look for, and kind of following our gut and being charmed by places that, you know, I used to call them Taj Mahals, um, you know, nursing homes and communities that were exquisitely decorated that made us feel good when we walked in. But as a family, we really had no idea what we should have been looking for in terms of a long-term care community that really embraced the individual um, and really took the time, you know, to identify who they are, who they were, um, the things that make them tick, you know, et cetera. So to make a long story short, um, Dad was a very strong man. Um, A lot of times his strength was misconstrued. Um, As a result, he was um, excused twice from two long-term care communities. Uh, In one case... Excused twice. I love that. That is the most polite way I've ever heard uh, a family (laughs) member refer to that as... Excuse. Yeah. Everyone says, excuse. He was excused. Excuse. Yeah, he was. He was politically correct. <laughs> well, you know, he was a natural leader. He was a natural leader, and he had a tendency to, uh, you know, he had been a colonel in the Air Force for for 30 years. So mm-hmm. he was always organizing the troops. And in one case, he actually tried to elope out the window, and he tried to take them with him. So uh-huh. now the difference is, had this community, you know, and I want to I want to put it out there that I think that people in long-term care do the work of angels. It's hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, the system is broken. It doesn't support the people who work in the industry to really explore these concepts, but I think we're getting better. And at the time, these people were doing the best they could. But yeah. the thing that was missing was 
a commitment to knowing who dad was. And if they'd had a little more information, they might have been able to channel that energy a little differently. And instead, well, he was excused. It, it is so. amazing. You know, I have to agree with you about, you know, being a, um, a caregiver, you know, and looking for placement and how we really did get used to kind of the Taj Mahal and, oh, it, it looks good, so it must be good. And it was all about right. us feeling good but not necessarily about substance and, and content because we didn't even know what to ask. And so we just were so relieved to find some place to place. And then and then also when you mentioned in the 90s that there wasn't much support out there compared to today, but I think the downfall with today in some ways is that there's so much, it gets so overwhelming. You know, the choices and the terminology and the competition, everybody trying to kind of coin their own phrase, but a lot of it is very similar concepts, you know, from a caregiver standpoint. It, it just really gets your head spinning too. Any thoughts on, on either of those comments? You know, I agree with you. It's it's funny, isn't it, the swing of the pendulum? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We can We can go from feeling like we, we don't have any resources to having so many that we're paralyzed. <laughs> and, you know, how how do you navigate the system? Um, well, one of the things that I guess I could say about that, I mean, since I, I am, you know, a dyed-in-the-wool advocate for person-directed practices and organizations that are on a culture change journey, you know, and I want to put it out there that I'm not just talking about long-term care communities like nursing homes. I'm talking about the organizations that support the people who do live at home. That, mm-hmm. you know, the process of changing the culture of care is something that has to stretch across that entire continuum. And a lot of it has to do with making sure that the consumers know what questions to ask, know what to look for, know to say, you know what? <laughs> This is unacceptable to me. I am looking for a quality of care that, you know, says that my loved one is going to be known deeply and known well and that all choices and decisions will revolve around that intimate knowledge of my loved one. You know, I really agree with that, but I think part of the problem is is that people don't even know. They don't even know what care is. I mean, when it comes down to it, most people look at caregiving, from my perspective, as a crisis situation that needs to be fixed. Absolutely. And, and I really think that it's a natural state and something that we do constantly throughout our day, and we need to break down those little pieces to really get to this person-directed care you're talking about because it's a, it's a smile, it's a handshake, it's a hug, it's a tone of voice, it's it's all those little pieces. It's not just about delivering a task or checking it off your list. You got it. It truly is about the heart of the delivery system, and I think that is so missed because people are too busy going, okay, who's going to do the pills? Who's going to do the grocery shopping? Who's who's going to, who's going to, who's going to? And we overlook that person um, because we're doing everything around them and many times not even with them, but we think we're helping. Precisely. And you know, what I love what you said, Lori, I loved what you started out with when you said we don't even know what care is. And yep. uh, the even alternative um, in our philosophy, we define care as that which helps another to grow. And this definition really opens things up. Um, 
I think our can tendency you say that in one our more culture, time? care can you is helping. One? Yeah, mm-hmm. care is helping another to grow. I love that. I love that. Now, think about the possibilities there. Um, when when you, we function in an institutional culture that has a tendency to define care as giving treatment, notice mm-hmm. there's something missing there. Who are the people that usually need treatment? You know, the, the people usually need treatment are people who are either ill or injured. So where mm-hmm. does that leave the rest of us? You and I need care when we're healthy. We all need well, care. Well, exactly. Exactly. Well, it it kind of goes into, you, you know, we don't, as a culture, especially here in the U.S., I mean, we don't talk about self-care either. You know, we talk no. about, you know, one of my biggest jokes is people talk about tough love, and I'm like, there is no such thing as tough love. Tough love is just standing up for yourself and loving yourself and saying, I can't do this anymore. It's not healthy for me. That's what tough love really is all about, but we can't we can't as a society come to say that it's okay to take a stand and to be healthy and to care for ourselves, let alone, you know, and if we're not healthy ourselves, you know, how do we care for somebody else? And so um, I, I just love, I love your definition. Care is helping another grow. I mean, that's just beautiful. And it's and, so... Uh, oh, go ahead. It, it doesn't <laughs> contain anybody in a box. I mean, it, the possibilities are endless. You know, it removes the judgment. It's just, it's it's really nice, really, really nice. Yeah, I you know, I think care is a creative act, and the beauty of that definition is that it, it allows us to tap into our creativity as partners in care. And, you know, I'm wondering, is it okay, can I share a story with you, a gift that my father gave me during the course of his illness? I mean, it was sort of that turning point moment for me where even though I didn't know this definition at that time, you know, it's one of those opportunities where you look back in time and you go, oh, my gosh, I learned this lesson then, but I didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, and those are so um, precious, aren't they? Uh, they? They are. And it, So I'm wondering, is that okay with you if I, if I share this story? Um, oh, please do. Please do. Okay. Well, I would say um, in the last two years of my father's life, um, you know, if those of you out there who are, are close to someone living with Alzheimer's, um, you know, maybe you're living with it yourself. In his case, um, he had reached a point where he was no longer um, ambulatory. He wasn't walking anymore. Um, he no longer used speech as you and I know it, but he communicated through what I call jazz scat. If you're like, this is what he would do. And you would rely on the inflection and the tone and the expression behind it to get a sense of where his heart was in that moment which was kind of fun and delightful, i got to say. It's uh, communication when you're challenged to try something different is lots of fun. Um, so this was a day I was going to visit my father. At this point, he was living in a community that was practicing the Eden Alternative. And um, I walked in the door that day of uh, the building, and I, I, I could tell it was a singing day because I could hear Dad all the way <laughs> across the building. Um, and when I got to his, the door of his room, um, I knocked. Um, you know, that was his home and his private world, and I always honored that space. And so, you know, I creaked the door open, and I peeked inside after knocking, and what I saw uh, was something I, um, 
You know, Lori, I thought I was really on top of it and that I was really on the cutting edge of my thinking around what it meant to give and receive care. But this moment was even too much for me. My dad had, you know, been a very, very elegant man, very conservative man, you know, beautifully dressed in uniform. Um, You know, this was a man who had a beautiful head of hair who would spray it down with half a can of hairspray every day because he wanted to be neat as a pin in every moment. And he was also an exquisite ballroom dancer. My parents both were. So he carried himself like a dream. So you get the idea here. Um, Uh Now, being a musical person, this day when I opened the door, my father was in a state of ecstatic joy. He was singing his you know, communication style, loudly, joyfully. Um, He was dancing on his bed, um, on his back, in any way that he could. His limbs were moving, his head was moving, um, his hair was a mess, his eyes were kind of wild and rolling around like a Maori warrior. And the thing that was really quintessentially different for me is that my very conservative father, who would have never let me see him nude, had removed his clothes because it was hot, and he was having a delightful time feeling the cool air on his skin. And I closed the door and I started to weep. I I was outside of his room and I was asking myself, well, Laura, you know, what is bothering you? And what I realized after a few minutes of contemplation was that I was afraid of that being me. Now, having this aha did not cure me in that moment of this fear or this anxiety that I was feeling or, you know, this recoiling, but it did empower me in a sense that I understood what was bothering me and that I had a choice. I could walk with the fear and meet the unknown and see what was going to happen, or I could make a choice to take care of myself in a different way, leave, and try again another time. Well, this day, I walked in. I sat on next to him. I took his hand, and I just began to stare deeply into his eyes, even when he wasn't really focusing on me. And I gave him a lot of, mm-hmm, yeah. And I nodded my head a lot, and I stroked his hand, and I gave him every bit of nonverbal affirmation that I could, that I was willing to meet him where he was and to listen to his story, even though I may not be able to understand it, you know, in a logical sense, but on some visceral level, you know, it could have meaning for me too. And the more I listened to him, the more those eyes started to fix more on my eyes. And the more his head started to move and his eyes would, you know, his brows would go up and down. And we just had several minutes of communicating that way. And then I suddenly realized he was having way more fun than I was having. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm going to say too. And we started doing call and response. And this was like the most engaged interaction I'd had with him in years in, in his disease process. And you know, it was be bop bop ba doo bop bop and I'd come back with doo ba doo ba doo ba doo bop bop and he'd come back with something else. And we went like this for about twenty minutes. I had so much fun with him. It was so delightful. It was the most engaged, most just joyful interaction, frankly, that I had ever had with him in all of my years with him. And if I had let my fear at that door stop me, I would have missed it. I would have missed that precious moment. And the thing that I learned in that moment, because I had been somebody who had like clung to the idea of what it meant to be a caregiver. Caregivers should be proud. I was really proud. I held that title like a badge. But the thing that I did in holding it so dearly was that I was so invested 
and giving and giving and giving to him and doing everything that he might need me to do that up until that moment, I hadn't really noticed what it was he gave me, where he was right then. Wow. And that was the moment I I really caught what it meant. What does it mean to be a care partner? What does it mean to receive from this beautiful man who was in an altered state that I couldn't totally understand but that I could still learn from? That's a beautiful story. I, I had similar um, situations like that with my mom, too, who you know, is in her end stages and doesn't communicate. And to me, the disease has really taught me how to play again. I mean, when you were talking about that situation, if that was a small child, no one would have a second thought of sitting down and engaging and playing with a small child naked on a bed, singing and, you know, whatever. Because right. It's play, and that's what it, that's what a child does. And, and to me, that is one of the gifts my mother has given me back is to not take life so seriously, not oh. think that I can control everything, and to really to be able to have that sense of playback. I mean, I can't even put it into words, um, but it is it is such a huge gift, and and it allows the burden that you feel that you've been carrying around with you, which is really something that's self-induced, you know, of I have to do this and I have to do that, and everything has to be perfect. You know, I have to do my very best. And it gets you right back to that relationship. It gets back to the touch and looking in the eyes and, and just, you know, just absorbing what's there in all its beauty and glory. And um, so that's a very, very... Very neat story. Um, I just, I love that because I, I think most of us miss that and we don't even know it's there. We don't even know we're missing it because we're too busy trying to control it and fix it. You hit it right there. It is absolutely the, the case. Um, I mean, elders living with dementia, anyone living with dementia, um, they are the most powerful teachers of what it means to be in the moment because that's where they live. You know, and if oh. we let them teach us, look what happens. You know, just yeah, like you it, said, you it's have been this life incredible... changing for me, and it sounds like it has been for you as well. Um, it it just um, I, you can't those moments never go away. I mean, they're, they're for me um, those moments are so ingrained in every cell of who I am now. That's how I want to live my life. That's who I want to be like. You know, I want to I want to be that person who, you know, when we go on vacation and we forget about time, yeah. um, I, I want to be that person who doesn't care about, who's not driven by a watch or a calendar, even though I know I have certain things that I have to do. But it used to drive me um, to be so in control. And, and um, you know, my mom with her disease has just taught me to lighten up. You know, it's okay if you don't get the house cleaned or, you know, no one really cares if the if the floor is washed or not or if there's a dust bunny in the corner or whatever it is. You know, enjoy who you're with in the moment. Those are and the, the things beauty, yeah, are What I love about what you said, too, is that letting that happen, letting yourself be the learner um, from this beautiful being who's showing you how to embrace a moment is that, you know, by by engaging and joining in, you're saying to that person, you know what, I see you right now. I really 
see you, and I love you not only for who you've been in the past, but for who you are right now, right here. Yep. You know, well, and did it's you, ultimately affirming. Yeah. Did you find, I, I had a turning point with myself where I honestly say when I go out and speak and stuff that I I honestly say this from, from my heart and soul, I have the most intimate relationship with my mom. Yeah. In any relationship I've ever had in my whole entire life because we communicate on a level I didn't know existed. And she is the safest person in the world for me to go be with because she doesn't judge me. She just accepts exactly. me wherever I am at. And it's like to know the feeling of that kind of acceptance and love, it's like how can you not give that back? to somebody once you know what a gift that is. I mean, to me, that just, like, totally changed my world and said, uh, how, there's no way I can judge this person. Not when they are so open and loving and caring with me. How, you know, how could I ever, ever do that to them? It's absolutely true. It 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 just is a powerful, powerful learning experience. And you know this is this is the thing with this concept of care partnership is that and you're describing it too here is that when people who identify primarily as caregivers begin to open and recognize the ways that they receive from that person that they've been seeing as a care receiver and mm-hmm. then that person who's been receiving the care begins to notice what they have to offer. And there's just lots of subtle ways that happens. It's it's as subtle as my father beginning to engage with me differently with his eyes when he saw that I was really present with him. Somewhere deep inside him, there was recognition that there was an exchange of energy going on there. Powerful things happen in that relationship. You just described that. You just described how yeah. that's changed you forever. And how replenishing that is, right? I mean, oh, how much it, that it, feeds you. It's it's so energizing, and it's so, um, it, you know, it, I kind of, it, it's right in line with when I was in the midst of caregiving, and I didn't have time for anybody else. I didn't have time for my friends. And, and the one moment after probably months of my girlfriends wanting to meet for coffee, I finally broke down because I was just in overload and I thought I was going to crack. And I said, okay, 15 minutes. I'll give you 15 minutes. And they were on a schedule. That's all I had, you know, because I had stuff to do. I was caring for my dad with brain cancer, mom with Alzheimer's, had a kid in school. I was working full-time, volunteering, you know, just life. And I ended up not leaving for two hours. And we laughed and we cried. And it made me realize, again, that whole self-care role, of being re-energized, that was a moment for me that I'll never forget. But it, oh. this this one with my mother was really the same because it was such a way to care for self, to release mm-hmm. the anguish and the pressure of stuff we we can't control. But you know, as a society, we think we're supposed to, and it's not. It isn't. It, it's not healthy. And we really, you know, we'll never be able to achieve that. And then what we lose by trying to control. And when you let it go, like you said, and be able to sit on the bed with your dad and and sing and have fun and look into those eyes that are are, are glistening and you know there's a connection. And you, yeah. you realize the smile and you hear the giggle. I mean, those 
those are hitting you on so many sensory levels that you know they're just ingrained in you forever. You can't forget yeah. those things. They are indeed. <laughs> you know. Okay, they, I'm off. No, say again. No, I was going to say I'm off my tangent there. I'm sorry, I got us a little sidetracked. Cause, oh no, um, I think we're right on target. <laughs> but um, I, I just, I, I don't know. I'm just nuts on this stuff, as you can tell. I just think it's so important for people to see the value of stepping back, and it's not an easy process, you know, because you have to let go of your fear and your judgment, not only of yourself judging you, but of what are others going to say, and am I going to look like the good daughter, the good son, or the spouse, or, you know, am I going to be criticized, because those things go through people's minds, too, but until we step back and are brave enough, we can't change society's view of what care is and you know and we can't we can't change how we want to be cared for either because we don't right. know what it is we want until we've experienced it and then we can really share with others going man this is pretty cool this is pretty well, cool that's because the beauty of having this opportunity what you just said was having something modeled for you that mm-hmm. really informs you about okay in my future if I were to, you know, write a paper, <laughs> a one-pager mm-hmm. on what care means to me and how do I want to be cared for, you know, think of the data you have. <laughs> yeah, really. It's, it's, it's powerful. You know, one of the things powerful. I was thinking about just now when you were talking, uh, you know, just, just about this idea of reframing care and the stepping back and the challenge that people have, because it really is, I mean, I think... As, as Americans, um, you know, and I, I don't know how broadly this blog reaches, but I'm sure there are other cultures that can relate to it too. You know, we're so doing-oriented. We're so profoundly doing-oriented that when some of us step into the role of, you know, um, care partnering or as some people might describe it as caregiving, it's easy to jump into the task-doer. I mean, that's a role that, you know, as members of this society, we, we get that really easily. <laughs> Yep. It's harder to learn how to be with your care partner, with your elder care partner. Those are harder lessons to learn and so vital, not only for them, but for us in terms of our own sanity and our own sense of balance. And I think that the first step people have to take before they can really start reframing what care means to them it's a little bit like what happened to me at that door in my story when I asked myself what I was afraid of. There are ways, because we live in an ageist society, that those, even those of us who think we're really groovy and really alternative thinkers, I think we catch ourselves all the time um, playing tapes in our own head that really come from the messages, the negative messaging we get in our culture about what it means to age, about what it means to have or live with dementia, about what it means to live with a disability. I think we develop our own set of fears and anxieties around, you know, how we would deal or be perceived if we were living with certain conditions. Um, How will we deal with our own aging? What What do we fear about our own aging? And it's like, until we take some time to ask ourselves some really hard questions about how these things sort of silently take hold and give birth to our own anxieties and fears 
and how those attitudes end up affecting the way we relate to and exchange care with our loved ones. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we can really begin to, to to walk this path that you and I are talking about. So, you know, to me, I call that planting the seeds, you know, kind of taking a reflective look at, all right, what, what am I afraid of? Maybe even having conversations with other care partners in the family that you trust, mm-hmm. that you feel comfortable with, what are we afraid of? What are the fears that we each have that might be getting in the way of how we relate to our loved one? Because if I had focused on decline alone in that moment, I would not have been able to enjoy my father's company in in the way that it it worked out. Um, and I just got lucky. <laughs> you wow. Know? Very, it, it's very, very interesting. I was watching a... Um a video on uh, the other day about the power of vulnerability that um is it Breen Brown did that is just it, it, and she's just hilarious and she was on the TED's program talking about it and mm. and you know she talks about you know letting go and she's a researcher at heart and you know none of this stuff makes sense to her because it was all about letting go of control and it's probably one of the best videos that I've seen that, to me, you can really relate to how we give and how we receive care. And I, and I think receiving care is something that we have to talk about because we are not a gracious society in terms of receiving care. We look at that mm-hmm. as a weakness. And so as we're fall, you know, I mean, I look at myself and it's falling all over my parents, trying to do everything for them, Um and how difficult that must have been. Because I don't even like bringing my car in to get an oil change for 10 minutes because I don't want to let go of my, key, my keys, you know. I right. want control. And I, and, but I didn't look at it like that when I was the giver because, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking I'm doing good. This is what I'm supposed to do. But I really wasn't looking at it from their side of what would it be like to be taken care of the way I took care of them. And I and I know they knew that it was all out of love, but I know knowing what I know now, I would have done things very differently in terms of how I would quantify what is good care. And I would be much more patient directed. And I would be much more conscious of slowing down and letting them participate instead of me always trying to take over and get done and you know, try to get on to the next thing. And um, and that's so missing. We don't talk about, we just don't talk about those things. And they need to be discussed openly um, well, the, on the, how... The thing about, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, go, I'm go so ahead. excited go here, Lori. <laughs> go no, ahead. No, go ahead. No, really, I want you to finish your sentence. <laughs> I don't even know what I was going to say, so it's fine, it's fine. But, so, so go ahead and jump in. Well, um... I just you're just offering a perfect segue here because um you know when you think about care partnership as a new concept really what it implies is a balance of care that we acknowledge that opportunities to give as well as receive are abundant and experienced by everyone involved in the care relationship and like when you're talking about your story which is so many of our stories about we wanted to give and give and give to be the good daughter to to do right by the people we loved and what we often don't realize, is that what we're creating is helplessness. What we're creating is um, an inadvertent opportunity to take meaning away from somebody's day or maybe a sense of purpose. 
and so no matter what stage someone is experiencing, you know, some form of dementia, you know, at the at the Eden Alternative, we we talk about when we when we define an elder, an elder is someone who, by virtue of life experience, is here to teach us how to live. And we believe, you know, that every elder has a gift or legacy to offer their communities or to younger generations, no matter what their challenges might be, physical, mental, or otherwise, cognitive, etc. So when you start defining and rethinking about what it means to be an elder, when you start turning the idea of aging as decline around and start looking at becoming an elder as an opportunity for continued growth and development, then you open the door up to recognizing that um, as long as we're paying attention, there are always opportunities for someone to give. And it really does turn kind of traditional thinking about giving care on its ear because, like you said a little mi- a few minutes ago, it means stepping back and paying attention and capitalizing on the strengths. What's working right now? And when I notice what's working day to day with my loved one, how can I invite them to participate and give of themselves and use that strength that I see there so that we can both give and receive and support one another? Oh, that's really nice. That's I really like that. Very nice. You know, and I think, too, it has something to do with our notions of independence because if we start thinking about this idea of interdependence more, which is really what care partnership is based on, you know, we, as people who want to be in control and, and want to be autonomous, we know we need our autonomy, but we also need each other. And so when we start to think about how we build on individual strengths and create these shared systems of support where you know, everybody wins, you know, we start to focus on interdependence and it naturally shifts the focus away from disabilities and abilities and it kind of forces us to think about what the abilities are and how we can build on them. You know, this idea of interdependence also, you know, by nature it acknowledges that everybody has something to bring to the table. And so as long as that's kind of in your mind's eye, you can challenge yourself a little bit at a time as a caregiver who's wanting to identify more as a care partner with, okay, today I'm going to try two times to be more present in letting my um, relationship expand past me just giving care in one-way direction and receiving care from this person that I'm collaborating with. Very neat. Say, if you don't mind, if we can step back just a hair, can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit, because um, we didn't really get into, you know, what is the, uh, the, the Eden Alternative and who started it? Can you give us a little history there, and then we can kind of dig back in to all the you work bet. and stuff that you're doing? You bet. Well, um, many years ago in the early 90s, um, there was a young doctor um, in Upstate New York, his name is Dr. Bill Thomas. Um, At the time, he was working in an emergency room, and he was looking for a different, you know, pace to life. As you can imagine, it was a pretty stressful existence doing emergency room care. And somebody had offered him a job at a nursing home to be the medical director. And his first reaction was, no, no way, never, not interested. Um, he, He had never had an aspiration to be a geriatrician. 
So he went back to his life in the emergency room, and I guess some time went by, and he started to rethink. Um, maybe he shouldn't have turned that offer down. Maybe he should check it out. You know, it's got to be, you know, a more balanced existence, the one that he was living. So he went back, he checked in, and um, decided to take the job and give it a try. And within you know a brief amount of time there, there was a day that he walked in to take care of an elder, and she had a rash on her arm. And he was talking to her in a very doctorly voice and making sure that there was a prescription available for her, and he was ready to shake her hand and walk out the door. And she reached out and grabbed him by the arm and pulled him in. And you know, Dr. Thomas will say that it, like this, this woman's eyes are forever riveted in his memory. I mean, they're crystal blue eyes, and she looked at him and said, Doctor, I am so lonely. And if if you know Bill Thomas, he's not very often speechless, <laughs> but he was in that moment. <laughs> and what he realized was that as a medical doctor, he had no pill to give this woman for her loneliness. And that moment inspired him to go back to his medical texts and start looking through them to see what he found on the subject of loneliness, and he found nothing. And this inspired an, another step that he took where he began to spend his off hours in that nursing home watching life for months. And over a period of time, he recognized that there were three things at play there that nobody was talking about. And it wasn't just affecting the people who lived there, but affecting the people who worked there. And these things he identifies as the three plagues, and they are loneliness, helplessness, and boredom. So identifying these three plagues kind of created a framework for him to develop a 10-principle philosophy, and he did so with the collaboration of his wife and uh, life partner and um, vision partner, Jude Thomas, they developed the Eden Alternative as an educational philosophy for shifting the culture of care and providing true quality of life for elders and their care partners. And like I mentioned, it started in nursing homes, but over the years we've recognized that culture change doesn't happen in a vacuum and that culture change is something that we all need to take a certain responsibility for. Um, And we have reached past the walls of the nursing home into the home and community-based care as well. Um, does that help? Are you, do you have any questions about that background? Well, that's um, that's a powerful story of how this all, you know, it just that that paying attention in those few seconds, what that triggered, and you know, and what that happened, what back in the seventies, was it? Oh no, early nineties, late eighties, early nineties. Okay, mm-hmm. early okay. But I mean you We're look about at the twenty time years old now. Yeah. yeah. You look at the time frame in in which, you know, everything that Bill has done and the, you know, this organization he has created and the movements and, and all of the things just from that one grasp of a hand and look in somebody's eyes and really listening. You know, how powerful just those yeah. few seconds can be. You know, and and how many of those have we all missed? Exactly. And what we could do if we just if we just really took those couple of seconds into our heart and soul and said, "I can, I can fix this. I can do better on this." 
not fixing a person, but fixing the culture that creates the person within it. Absolutely. That's really neat. Very, very neat. And and I think it's really interesting, too, how you came to work with them, not looking for a job, but because you saw and felt what they were doing with your own parents and and the effect I'm sure not only that it had on him but on you and said, I want to be part of this. Absolutely. I mean, that, that is very, very neat in and of itself. Can you share with our, our listeners some of your, you know, memory-specific programs and, and what you're doing for memory care in particular? Do you have like a, a set criteria? Is there a program? Maybe there even isn't a program. You tell me. Um, and how that works. Well, I'll tell you a little bit. Um, uh, it kind of goes back to the, the story of our beginnings to some extent. After uh, Bill and Jude developed the Eden Alternative and they pulled together the Tim Principles and began to conceptualize how those would be put into action, um, Bill Thomas secured a grant with the state of New York to actually pilot the Eden Alternative as a philosophy. And they called the project the Dementia Project. So they really started out focusing on the needs of people living with dementia. Um, you know, as a philosophy, if you were to take a look at our ten principles, if you were to take some of our, our, our basic um, introductory offerings, you would see pretty quickly that this is a very adaptable philosophy. I mean, you and I could walk around and apply these principles every day, and it would have meaning to us. But there are some powerful ways that it really speaks um, to, you know, the well-being of someone living with dementia. And this, this concept of care partnership in our fourth principle is all about the power of giving and receiving um, and how that is an antidote to the plague of helplessness. I, I, just, I, I just want to start by sharing a quote, and then I'm going to get more specific to your to your question or to answering your question, there's an author named Christine Bryden, and she herself lives with dementia. She's the author of a book called Dancing with Dementia, My Story of Living Positively with Dementia. And I just wanted to share this quote that I think really captures um, kind of where we're headed with this. She says, adopting a soul identity as our caregiver highlights our illness and strips both of us of other identities. We have become caregiver and sufferer in a relationship of codependence. In this role, you may soon feel overwhelmed by the multitude of tasks, of remembering for two, of planning and organizing for two, of covering up our deficits, grieving over our losses, rather than looking for what remains. You can quickly become exhausted, sad, depressed, and in despair. At the same time, if we adapt a soul identity as a sufferer of our illness, we learn helplessness, we lose more function, and show an excess disability. This will only add to your burdens as a caregiver and exacerbate the problem for both of us. We need to move away from labeling ourselves as caregiver and sufferer towards becoming a care partnership in which we accept, collaborate, and adapt to new roles within the journey of dementia. In this care partnership, the person with dementia is at the center of the relationship not alone as an object to be looked at as merely a care recipient. Instead, we become an active care partner in a circle of care. 
So share that quote to answer your question because um, our philosophy as it stands with the focus on these ten principles, the fact that we have three plagues that are actively affecting not only people who receive care but people who give it and vice versa. We also are um, providing the Eden at Home training, which is our way of taking these principles out into home and community-based care. There is also a dementia-specific version of that training. But what you need to understand is it's really different than the kinds of things that are out there right now. The tendency, I believe, and these are all really important tools, and I am of the mind that the more tools you have in your toolkit, the better off you are. Nine times out of ten, they complement each other anyway. The yeah. tendency is to focus on the needs of, the, of what people identify as the caregiver. The beauty of the care partnership concept is that it looks at the entire care relationship and the dynamics within and recognizes that if we're looking at the health of the care partnership, we're looking at the health of everyone involved. And when you have people who are giving care that feel healthy and balanced and you have individuals who are receiving care that feel like they have something to offer and that there are ways that their lives have meaning and purpose, even if it's in the subtlest ways, even if it's just acknowledging that your smile is a, a healing balm to someone. This is what it means to create health. This is what it means to support the well-being of that individual living with dementia. Um, when people are invited to participate in the, the, da the daily activities in whatever way that they can because people are paying attention to strengths, this is an opportunity to care for the brain this is an opportunity to care for the soul. So these are the, the kinds of um, things that we teach. Um, in, in recognizing that there are antidotes to the three plagues, you know, I, I mentioned that um, the opportunity to give as well as receive is the antidote to helplessness. The antidote to loneliness is what we call close and continuing contact. It's true companionship. It's the opportunity to be well-known by somebody and by being well-known, that person can be really responsive to you as a true individual and not necessarily projecting what they think you need onto you. It also means that boredom as a plague has an antidote, and that is spontaneity and variety. And you and I have already talked about how elders living with dementia are powerful, powerful teachers when it comes to play, spontaneity, and being able to grasp the moment in joyful ways. Our trainings focus on putting these ideas into action. And I just, you know, I want to share one story to illustrate this because I think it will it'll probably ring more true for people if they see it applied. There's a gentleman named Robert who um, was a care partner in one of our Eden at Home care partner workshops. Robert also ended up becoming an Eden at Home trainer eventually because he was so creative. He was so... Um, innovative in terms of how he used the principles. And the, and the beauty of a principle-based approach to any kind of learning is that you've got these things to come back to as your touchstone, but it invites you to custom design your solutions around your unique needs and the people that you're working with and, and to use your creativity. And this is exactly what Robert did. Robert went to a workshop and he came home, and he was the um, sole care partner to his father who was living with dementia at the time. 
His mother was there and she was present, but Robert did what a lot of us do. He wanted to be the best son in the world, and he went to his mom and he said, Mom, I don't want you being worried with Dad's care. I'm going to do it all. You just stay over here and take care of yourself. I'm going to take care of Dad. I'm going to be really good to Dad. I'm going to be good to you and make sure that this is easy for you. Well, Robert had gone to the workshop in part because he recognized he was having some challenges when he had to change his dad's soil linens. His father was so overwhelmed with anxiety and um, the indignity of it that he would wail and cry and fight Robert. And Robert had tried everything in his power to make this an easy experience for all of them, but nothing was coming up as a good solution for him. So he learned about the Eden Alternative Term Principles. He learned about the plagues. He learned about the antidotes. Um, He learned about different tools that he could put into action. And he came home and he had a brainstorm. And he went to his mom and he said, Mom, I think I've been doing this kind of backwards. I've been kind of keeping you out of the picture because I love you and I want to make life easy for you. But you're my care partner and I need you. And Dad needs you. And I have an idea. And so when it was time to change Dad, they went in together. And um, Robert explained to his father, Dad, you know, it's time for me to, to, to change your pants. And Mom's had a really bad day, and she needs your love and kisses. And can she lie down here next to you, and will you hold her real tight and love her up? Because she's really sad today. And I'll take care of this, and, and it'll be over in just a moment. Well, the invitation for affection, for whatever, you know, it it seemed to work really well for his dad because he opened his arms and she lay down next to him and he held her real tight and Robert noticed he was kind of murmuring in her ear and kissing her head and this was something that he tapped into so easily. Meanwhile, Robert's noticing he's getting through the process of changing the linens and it's not a problem. He gets all the way to the end of the process really pleased with himself. He doesn't want to call a lot of attention to it. And he says, Dad, thank you for taking such good care of Mom. We're all done here. And you know what? I've had a really hard day, too, and I'm wondering if I can get some of those hugs and kisses. And so his dad rolled over, and he pulled Robert into his other arm and kissed him on the head, and he said, I love you. And Robert had not heard those words in a really long time. So here was this very challenging situation that they turned into a beautiful ritual that they continued from that point on. All because this brave man was willing to try some new ideas. And what he did was he recognized that companionship was something he could tap into. They were all connected. They all loved each other. They were family. He recognized that he was leaving his mother helpless by leaving her out of the equation, and he invited her to become an active care partner and to help in a way that she could. His father became an active care partner by giving love to both his mother and to Robert when invited. Robert was actively care partnering with both of them. And in terms of spontaneity and variety, a big part of that is learning how to take risks and being willing to try something new and knowing that if it doesn't work, it's okay. They'll try something different. In this case, it worked like a charm. Oh, very so. interesting. Uh, on um, September 28th, I'm having two people on the show. That it's, it's going to be really interesting because it, it's all about doing stuff different. And I'm having Jonathan um, Naval on and uh, Carlene Reed. And they're up in Canada, and they have a play. It's a kind of a dance play called Let's Play House. And they actually do improv for Alzheimer's, 
and, and it's just incredible. But Jonathan, um, this is one of his quotes um, that he talks about his mom, Christine, who has all, Alzheimer's, and he says, he openly admits, I had no love for mom, no connection. And then I, dis- I discovered contact dance. And he, yeah. you know, it's just totally changed his world. Carlene had a son, uh, young son in his 20s that ended up having a, a groin injury that, you know, you'd think is simple and will heal. But, you know, it was like 14 years. I think he he was really sick. The doctors couldn't figure out what's wrong. He still walks with crutches. Um, she thought she was going to lose him, and now he's finally come back. But they talk about their journey and the drain, the drain of caregiving because they mm-hmm. so wanted to be in control and they wanted to be the good son or the good daughter um, or mother in this process. And when they let go and learned to play, how things shifted. And, and she will share with us the moment she, she convinced her husband to say, we have to stop trying so hard you know, mm-hmm. to get Kurt to live. And she went to him on the couch when he was, like, under 90 pounds and could barely speak, only whisper. And she said, we're going to stop trying. I just want to spend as much time with you as I can and be with you and be supportive. And she said, you know, he opened his eyes and he just smiled and said, thank you for just letting Mm -hmm. me be. And and that's really what it's about. It's it's about... Letting people be who they are and respecting that and, and loving them so deeply through it. And then once we can let go, which is not easy, and and I still struggle with it myself, you know, <laughs> at times. Um, once we let go, the, the joy goes to such a significant elevation um, that you didn't just didn't even know existed, and the, the I don't know for you, but for me, I have gotten, you know, I'm 52, but I have this calmness about me, and it really takes a lot to to get me rattled, because mm-hmm. I know I just can't control things, and I know that there's, you know, a lesson in everything, and again, it's just it allows me to I think finally receive and know that it's okay, but more so it allows me to give on such a higher level and a and a better level that I think makes the other person more whole because I'm not focusing so much about me. And I didn't realize I was really focusing on me before. I, I really thought I was focusing on them. They were on my checklist, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, but that's how silly it is um, because that's how we think. Well, I, I wrote it down. You know, I checked it off. Of course right. I did it. You know, <laughs> but we're not quantifying how we did it and and did it really mean anything, you know. It looks like we've got a caller on the line here, so let me just take a break here and we'll see who is on the line. Who mm-hmm. Who has joined us? Can you state your name? Oh, my goodness, I want to suck your butt crack so much. I just want to fuck you so hard. Just let me suck your dick. Oh, my fucking God. Just let me suck your dick, suck your dick, suck your dick. Uh, Sorry about that. That was 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 the first one I've ever had. Yeah, yeah, lovely, lovely, lovely. I have heard about these. 
<laughs> and I, my clicker would not hang them up, so I so much apologize for that one. Oh, hey, it's not your problem. Things happen. Oh, gosh, yeah. Let it go and move on. <laughs> like so, so Lori, this is our opportunity to practice Principle 5 about dealing with spontaneity and variety and letting that just kind of roll off. <laughs> Well, good. I'm glad number five exists. <laughs> Thank <laughs> goodness there's something, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh jeez. So, okay. anti ways. Well, that was a that was a great story to um, to share to just kind of you know show people, um, you know what what it is you're talking about. I mean, for for that that son to just kind of take it and and go with it and try it and and let go of it might not work and just be brave enough to try something different I think is so, so neat. So, so neat. Um, yeah. Are there some other principles that you'd like to share with us at all? Or how, or maybe I should ask this. How do people get a hold of you if they would like to go to um, a training session? Um, is that something that you do all over the world or just in the U.S.? Or um, how do they find out about that? Can it be online? I'm not sure what your formats are there. Well, I can tell you, I can tell you where we are right now and where we're hoping to go. Um, okay. If people are curious about the kinds of things we offer um, on our website, which is it okay to share that right now? Is it okay mm-hmm. to say what our website is? Uh, www.edenalt.org. Um, there is a place on our website um, that tells you all about our different offerings. You know, because I'm not really sure the extent of your uh, your audience. We certainly have offerings for people who are working in long-term care. Um, all of our offerings are open to every care partner, um, family members, elders, etc. Um, we also have the offering that I mentioned to you because I figured that your audience was primarily interested in home and community-based care, and that is the Eden at Home series. Um, so I would say go to our website, see what's there. Feel free to call the number there that is provided for you if you want to get more information. Right now, the way things are working with Eden at Home, if we're talking about folks who are living out in the community and we're talking about family members that are looking for support, um, Eden at Home is a trainer certification model. So what that means is that we train people in the industry who are already working for organizations that are supporting home and community-based care and um, they become certified trainers, and they know their local community better than we do, so we empower them with the ability to deliver care partner workshops to care partners in the community. And the way the curriculum is designed is that it invites all stakeholders to the table at once. Because we're a culture change philosophy, we recognize that there is a power in everyone sharing the same language and the same knowledge. So if you bring some family members together with people who are working um, in long-term care, whether it's out in home and community-based care in a nursing home. And, you know, in some cases you may, want, you may have an elder that wants to participate in that. You may have a friend or a neighbor. It's really beautiful when all of these different stakeholders come together, go through a care partner workshop together. The potential for learning just, you know, it's exponential because people oh, are learning I- from each other's perspective. Yeah. I totally agree with that. One of one of my sayings is that in order to change, really our our care cultures, we have to understand how it's perceived, received, in order to change the delivery system, and we have mm-hmm. to understand that, like you said, from 
the person who we're caring for, for the family caregiver and the professionals supporting that system as well. And if we can't come to a place of speaking similar language, there's no way we can create effective change. You know, we need to understand why each of us is acting and reacting the way that we do. And, and basically, we all use the same equation. You know, it's just we process things different because of our history or because of a medical condition or whatever it might be, but we still use the same equation. And um, so I think that that's great that there is that opportunity for everyone to come together um, to just explore and, and open minds in terms of how do we give and, and receive care in your in your format. So wonderful. So again, the the website then is Eden Alt. So E D E N A L T dot org. Dot, um, dot and org. that's that's where people can learn more. Currently, with the care partner workshops, you know, you pretty much have to have a certified trainer in your area offering them. And you know, we realized that there was a certain limitation to that. So, you know, folks should stay tuned if, if this sparks your interest. We are moving in the direction of creating an online version of the care partner workshop, and hope to have something like that available perhaps by the end of 2012. So oh, that nice. is going to be, yeah, that'll be our way of trying to to make sure that it gets in the hands of as many people as possible that need it. And other than that, we have two new offerings coming out that, um, you know, I'm just I'm just going to mention this person because I think he's utterly brilliant. I think what he has to offer is just a tremendous gift to um, all family members and individuals living with dementia. There's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Al Power, but he's part mm-hmm. of our inner circle, and um, he's written a book called Dementia Beyond Drugs, and it's about person-directed behaviors and choices. Um it's a very powerful book, and we're very fortunate that we're going to be able to build a training around his work for the long-term care industry. Um, and we're also going to be creating an introductory training to that called Reframing Dementia, um, an Eden Alternative Perspective. So we're really just beginning to broaden out our, spe- our specific offerings, and we're really excited about it. Um, so it will be a, it'll be a labor of love. It'll, it'll take some time for these things to develop. Oh, great! Well, that's like, and Al, just his book is absolutely wonderful, and to be able to hear him speak and and um, it would be great. Now, on both of the programs, both for the um, alternative at home and um, mm-hmm. program, is that is that a course or is it just um, you know a couple of hours? Can you explain to the audience what the format um, of those sessions are? And same with what what Al is doing. On, um, yeah, what, what what we're doing with uh, Dr. Power um, is creating a training that will be two days long, and it will be um, focused on um, how to transform uh, long-term care environments um, when it comes to looking at dementia through a new lens. Uh, the reframing dementia um, and even alternative perspective is, is actually going to be like the 101 to Al mm-hmm. Power's course, and it too will be focusing primarily on the long-term care environment. The Eden at Home dementia-specific version is is sort of the arm that we have reaching out into the community. That's you know really focuses on care partnership as its as its crux as its core concept. And um, 
like I said, we train trainers for that, and in some areas those trainers are available to deliver care partner workshops, but we're really looking forward to developing that um, online version someday soon. Okay, wonderful. Well, great. And again, they can just go to the website and get more information um, on that. Great. Um, do you have any other stories maybe that you'd like to share with us at all or anything that, that sure. stands out that was kind of a, one of those life-changing, you know, aha moments for you? Well, um, let's talk for a minute a little bit more about this concept of being well-known, which is okay. um, wrapped up in the antidote to loneliness, um, you know, when when we have close companionship, we have people who know us deeply and know us well. And I, I'm, I'm guessing Dr. Power won't mind if I share a story from his book. I've made it very clear that's where it's coming from. Um, but I just I love this story because I think it really illustrates again the power of, you know, when we're really paying attention, we get complete information. Um, I'm just going to change the names in the story a little bit, but uh, there's a there's a story about a gentleman who was who had recently moved to long-term care into a nursing home. He was living with dementia. And um, at a certain period of night, you know, each night, he would become very, very agitated. He would become reactive. He was pacing around the room saying, I need a line. I need a line. I need a line. I need a line. And people were very frustrated. His care partner team was trying to figure out what that means. And so um, a couple of the care partners were able to kind of stop, take a breath. I mean, typically what the response would be is a behavior, and, you know, that's usually what it's called, a behavior like this. It continued over a period of time is that, you know, a physician would be brought in and they would find the appropriate psychotropic drug to take care of the anxiety. But, you know, so they, they treat the symptom typically and, you know, maybe not take the time to understand the trigger. You know, and understanding triggers can be a really exciting and powerful process when you're really trying to um, understand what it is that's behind um, how somebody is feeling or what they're trying to convey to you, what needs they're trying to convey to you. Um, we'll call this gentle, uh, let's call this gentleman Alex. So Alex um, continued the behavior and nobody knew what was going on. And a couple of the care partners finally decided, let's brainstorm this. Let's sit down together and let's think. You know, let's tear it apart. Let's let's notice when it happens, how it happens. You know, make sure that we're paying attention to all the information that's going on around him. And um, one of them said, I need a line, I need a line. What does that mean, I need a line? And so they said, you know, when people say they need a line, you know, it's kind of a, an old-fashioned way of saying, I, I, I need the phone. <laughs> you know, he goes, I wonder, I, wonder, I wonder if he wants to call somebody, you know. I wonder if there's somebody important to him that he's wanting to call mm-hmm. at night. And mm-hmm. um, so they called his wife and just decided to use the data, you know, in his care partner team. Sure. And she said that he was a traveling salesman and that every night before he went to bed, he would call her. And that they would wish each other well every night. And that was the way that they created consistency and balance in their lives and connection between them. And since he had moved in, he had not had that. And so they tried. They tried the next night, right before his bedtime. They offered him the phone before it came up. 
they and they said, would you like to call your wife? And he said, yes. They put her on the phone. They talked. He went to bed, peaceful as a baby. <laughs> and every night thereafter, the the call was made. Just, uh, you know, a really simple story, but a really simple powerful thing. example. Well, when you were talking about the line, it's you know, like, I was thinking, was he an actor? Is he going fishing? I never thought of a phone line. But, I mean, it is. It's like all the different variables, and we have to, you know, because there is a reason for the reaction. Um, right. and, and it makes perfectly good sense to them, and it makes perfectly good sense to us once we understand what it is. Um the equation I had referred to earlier that I think all of us use the same, but we just start pulling from different, you know, wells, is that our current attitude plus our past experiences equal our perceptions, and our perceptions then trigger our reactions. And I think, you know, for me personally, I believe we all use that same formula. But when someone with dementia is trying to connect the dots, you know, they just come in, they fall in a different pattern than we do. And we just have to dig deeper because most of the times we're the trigger <laughs> um, to those behaviors, so we call them. Um, exactly. And if we can just figure out how to resolve that, it goes away. And I mean, how easy is handing the phone to somebody? When you think of how Are simple you- something, something like that can be resolved. And, you know, if if that hadn't been the solution, well, what's the worst that can happen? The phone doesn't take care of the problem. So then you continue, you know, if if, if care partner teams explore it, um, like, wow, this is sort of like putting a puzzle together. You know, it's it, it's like solving a mystery. Um, if you don't have access to a lot of people around you readily available that know this person well, then it's your job to fill in the blanks and to know as much as you can know in any way that you can. Um, you know, another story like that that I think usually blows people's minds, and I'm sure you have many like this yourself, Lori, is um, a story of a gentleman who, who was also, I mean, these stories tend to come up in long-term care because somebody's moved out of the home of origin and they're in another environment where, um, you know, uh, people don't know them as well. And, it, you, know, they, you know, even when people are trying to make the effort to know you well, it is a period of time before you really develop that deep sense of knowing, and you know it takes some doing sometimes. And in this case, um, there was a certain time of day in the afternoon that a gentleman would begin to wail and cover his ears and say, "No, no, no!" And he became so anxious that they started to worry that they were going to have to medicate him. And they were very, very close to taking that step um, because it was also. Um, frightening the other people around him so there was sort of this mm-hmm. chain reaction that was going off in the community and um you know somebody had the wisdom to perform what they call an environmental audit so that they could identify the trigger because it seemed to be like clockwork it was happening you know not every day but you know it was sort of in the fall you know and uh, so they just started putting the pieces together. And what we mean by an environmental audit is that means everybody pays attention to when when the reaction arises and, and the resulting mm-hmm. behavior arises is that you write down every sound, every smell, um, the time of day, the temperature of the room, 
um, you become the consummate observer um, and you tune into your environment in a way that maybe you just never bother to do. And you capture every piece of information that you pro- you possibly can. And over the course of several days, you very rapidly might begin to see a pattern. Something will stand out. And so then you kind of zero in on that. And in this case, and I'll call this gentleman Tom, in Tom's case, they found that the common denominator was blowing wind. And then they also realized, when they paid attention more closely, that the blowing wind, and it would only happen in one room in the community. It was um, like the gathering room where a lot of people Mm -hmm. would be at once where the TV was. So outside of this room, when the wind would blow, there was a piece of weather stripping that would whistle in this very weird way. Now, isn't that bizarre? (laughs) So when they fixed the weather stripping and it didn't make this whining whistle... He didn't do it anymore. He didn't wail. He didn't cry. He didn't beg for it to stop. Now, none of us will ever know, maybe, what his history was with that sound, what it triggered for him, what it reminded him of, what trauma, maybe, it was bringing up for him. But the important thing is, you know, people worked with the information they did have at hand, and they were able to solve a problem that eliminated the possibility of this man being on some, you know, combination of psychotropics to calm him down and to be honest with you it may not have worked so well you know that's a powerful tool but it, you know and then I, I you know i think of staff too or family members when you do alleviate one of those situations mm-hmm. how good you feel you know oh. I, I mean because you just you just like oh my gosh that's all it was and then it yeah. it just motivates you to do it again next time to look deeper instead of just blowing it off and saying they're crazy or they're having a bad day or whatever but to say what triggered that because we can probably fix it and um, and the the power that that gives you on a soul level in terms of energizing you. Um, and it's not a, like a power trip, but it's just a, a, an energy surge of, oh, that's all good, to, to make that person calm. Is, well, um, it is. It's is, empowering, isn't it? Yeah. You know? It's so rewarding. And, and that sense of helplessness that we talk about when we talk about the plagues, I mean, clearly, we're not just talking about the helplessness that an elder care partner might feel. We're talking about how we can feel helpless as, as that individual's care partner. And this is an excellent example of of saying, okay, how can I feel empowered here? Like, what can I do so that I don't just throw up my hands and say, give them a pill? You know, I'm not saying the pills aren't the answer sometimes. I mean, we all know that sometimes they play a really important part in helping us achieve quality of life. But they are not always the answer. And all too often they are turned to as such. And so what we often, um, what we advocate for is please make sure that you've eliminated the plagues of loneliness, helplessness, and boredom, or at least address them before you turn to um, medication is the answer. Um, It may be in the end that that is your only answer, but at least you have explored the other options. You've looked for the whistling weather stripping, you know. Um, Yeah. Well, and medication's not a quick fix. Everybody thinks it is, but a lot of times it takes a while to get into the bloodstream, and then a lot of times it takes a long time to get out of the bloodstream. So, I mean, it can really slow the process down where if we just 
pay attention. If we shut everything else off and just really, I, I loved your list of what's the temperature in the room, you know, what's the smell, what's the sound, what's, I mean, you just, you're looking at everything we take for granted and saying, okay, what's the difference? And that's just so, so, so powerful. And it can be a much speedier remedy than giving them a pill. And I think a lot of times people don't realize that either because I, I think society as a whole thinks that um, giving a pill is just the quick fix. It's just the way things are done. Um, but it can complicate things so much, too, as the body body changes. Um, well, Carol, need, who, oh, oh, go ahead. No, no, I don't need this. not necessary. Go on, Carol. Oh, um, Carol, who is with the Dementia Advocacy and Support Network International, writes um, something, and it kind of has to do with, with what we're talking about, but a lot of times people will say, I want to go home, I want to go home. Mm-hmm. And she has dementia, and she says, let me tell you about home. Yeah. Home is that lovely time in our own memory, in our mind, when the world was understandable and familiar, yeah. and we felt quite capable of doing what we set out to do. We felt safe and happy and among our loved ones. We felt we had everything we needed. And it has nothing to do with going to a physical house, which a lot of us think is the issue. But again, and, and, and for some people it might be that they actually want to go home, but for many it's just a moment in time. It's a feeling and so it's recreating that sense within that person who's feeling that loss and that anxiety. Um, it's it's looking at things from a different a different skew. Absolutely. Very much so. Very much so. Well, I I have appreciated all the time that you have spent with us here on the show. This has just been, I just think, fabulous, all of your insights and and things. Were there some other things that you wanted to cover that we have not covered um, so far at all? I I thought maybe I could just share a quick list here. It's kind of a summary, I suppose. Okay. When we're thinking about the healing power of being able to give as well as receive, um, there's just some things that I think it really helps for people to keep in mind because I think you and I, we've done a really great job here of talking about the concept and, and helping people sort of feel it. Um, but I think sometimes people will walk away and go, oh, but I would have liked a couple of tips that I could try. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And I guess my summary around if you really want to reach in the direction of creating opportunities to give as well as receive and to move toward identifying more as care partners, you and I have, I think, made it really clear that paying close attention, being the consummate observer, is going to give you the ability to identify strengths. And that means, okay, what works today? And we all know that with dementia, sometimes that changes tomorrow. Sometimes it doesn't. But the beauty (laughs) is that you stay fluid and you see what the strengths are and you use them to your advantage. Um, that in paying attention you identify interests and passions and you play with those and you and you draw on them. If you're somebody who isn't especially close to somebody, you may not have that information already. Um, that you promote independence by using cues and breaking down tasks into smaller steps, little things like less wash, less wash the lettuce. You know, can someone break up the lettuce for you while you wash it? 
um, looking at simple tasks and breaking them down and plugging the strengths in to those individual places so that you can be true partners, even in the physical tasks of the day. And, you know, staying responsive to those strengths, like we said, because they are going to change and just flowing like a river with how they shift over time. In some cases, depending on where somebody is in their disease process, asking, exploring possibilities. Um, you know, opening new questions are difficult. Um, you might want to offer succinct and specific choices so that yes and no can be the way that it's answered. Um, ask yourself the following questions. How can I learn to identify what works right now for my elder care partner and, and build on it? How can I break things down? How can I explore new ways to open up to receiving from my elder care partner that I may not be noticing on a regular basis? And keep a journal of these things so when you're having a hard day, remember the things that you love about what you receive from this person. Is it the way that person drinks in a sunset? I had a neighbor who lived with dementia who could describe a sunset like a lover, <laughs> and it was the most beautiful mm -hmm. gift she gave me. Um, remembering that the gift of an elder story alone is one of the most valuable gifts that you can receive. Um, this is another way you can receive. And when somebody is in the earlier stages of their journey with dementia, um, tapping into their long-term memory is still something that may be very enjoyable for them, and you need to be sure that it's enjoyable for them. And invite it, explore it together. Um, and I'd say the last thing... Um, Enjoy the opportunity to learn to be. Let let this person be your guru. Um, let them be your teacher. And uh, hope you find the joy in that moment. That's it. I, I love that. Enjoy the moment and, and let this person be a teacher. Because, you know, all of us are on this on this planet to learn. If, you know, and it, it's endless. I mean, it, it's just one big research lab. <laughs> You know, really, and it it can be just so filled with fun and insight and meaning um, if we really open ourselves up to being deeper human beings and um, raise our our level of connections there. So thank you so so much. I, I always like to ask this question though before I mm -hmm. before I let you go. What is the one biggest surprise or compliment that, that you have experienced in your journey with the Eden Alternative? <laughs> uh, gosh. I guess I would say it would be a compliment to the philosophy and the work of Bill and Jude Thomas. I'm just one of the conduits. Um I would say that it was Robert's story that I shared with you. When Robert gifted us with that story, that we were able to give him the tools um, to creatively address something that was just beyond him, um, and he triumphed. Um, that was a powerful gift. We, we were able to show Robert how deeply moved we were by his discovery and his growth through that process. He spoke at one of our international conferences in front of 500 people and got a standing ovation, sharing oh. the story I shared with you. Oh, and I would, I would say that that was 
one of I'm sure there are many, 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 but at the moment this is the one that stands out, the, the biggest compliment to what this philosophy has to offer. So. Wonderful. Now, do you have any words of wisdom for someone who is diagnosed with Alzheimer's or dementia and might be listening? Wow. You know, I feel really humble <laughs> when you ask me that question because I, I guess, I I look to that person as someone who, um, I don't know, I'm not worthy of giving that person advice. Um, I guess what I would say is, um, you know, I think of Dr. Richard Taylor, whose work I'm sure Mm -hmm. you're familiar with too. You know, he has found a way to help us all better understand what his experience is. There's no better way for us to learn about this process than from those of you who are living with it. Whatever you are willing to share with us to help us be better care partners to you, um, we welcome it. I I love that. And and Richard Taylor, Dr. Richard Taylor, for those of you that don't know, just released a new video too. And I am awful right now because I cannot think of the name of it offhand, but if you want to shoot me an email, I will definitely get you in the right direction because it's a magnificent video about getting rid of the myths and stigmas and what it's like and how he felt. And um, it's just, it's beautiful because it's all about empowerment and continuing on and giving voice to not only the disease, but to yourself, not losing yourself to the disease. So it's, it's just an exceptional, exceptional video. So again, Laura, people can reach you then at the mm-hmm. Eden Alternative website, www.edenalt.org. And mm-hmm. do you want to give an email or just shoot to the general standard? Um, I, yeah, I would say I would say go to the website, and um, the website offers many different directions depending on what your questions are. Um, so you know, explore the site. Okay. Um, follow follow the pull-down menus, and if you find something in particular that you're curious about, chances are it will tell you which one of us is the best person to contact, and it will provide that information. So Wonderful. That be the best way to well, go. Thank you again so much for being with us today and sharing your story with us and sharing the um, Eden Alternative way. Uh, it, it's just been very informative. I have you know, long um, known of of your institute and all of the things that you're doing, but it's just, it was really an honor today to speak with you and um, to have the conversation that we had. I think it will be very enlightening for many, many people um, now and way into the future. I love your patient-directed care. You're focusing on the strengths, and, um, you know, this is a journey together. Um, one that we're constantly learning and ebbing and flowing with. And, um, again, you're doing fantastic work, um, and and the Eden Alternative has just changed so many lives, and I know there's so many more to touch out there. So I'm, I'm glad that you guys could be a, be a part of our show today, and please keep us posted on any new initiatives that you take on because we'd, we'd love to have you back again and talk about about those as well. I would also thank like you. to thank all of... Oh, go ahead. Just saying thank you to you, Lori, and all the great work you do. Oh, 
Wonderful. Well, thanks. I would also like to thank all of our listeners um, today. Please feel free, if you enjoyed the show, to pass it along to your friends and families and colleagues. There's buttons to tweet and Facebook and email or embed on your websites. Feel free to do so. Again, it's all about raising awareness and helping others. Our next show is scheduled for Monday the 26th, and that will be at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, and 8 a.m. Pacific Time. And the title of that is Staying Afloat in a Sea of Forgetfulness. It's about common sense caregiving And the author of this book is Gary Joseph LeBlanc. And that will be a really interesting um, episode um, in and of itself. His book is absolutely fantastic. And then after that, we've got on the 28th of September coming up that Let's Playhouse, A Creative Way to Care. And that is, again, with um, Jonathan Neville and Carlene. And that's all about contact dance and what they found through caring and how the act of um, instilling art and playfulness, how it changed the way they care and what they both give and receive out of their relationships. Um, On October 21st, we have scheduled um, the George G. Glenner Alzheimer's Family Center, and we're going to learn about them. And then October 27th, We have Dr. Gordon Atherley of the Family Caregivers Unite program. He will be on. And on the 4th, we are going to have, of November, um, we're going to have a program called Why Wait? The Baby Boomer's Guide to Preparing Financially, Emotionally, and Legally um, for a Parent. So we have all kinds of fun shows coming up. We also just scheduled one that I'm very excited for. Um, I want to say it's October 14th. I don't even have it in yet, but it's a group out of Chicago, and it's called Soul Purpose. And Michelle is doing some really neat things. She has pulled in some big names to help her out and provide some quality care that is just a really cool collaborative process. So um, please, uh, please keep us in mind in the future because I think there's lots of fun things to learn. If you are memory impaired or maybe a caregiver or a business professional that's doing something a little unique and different and you'd like to have your voice be heard, um, shoot me an email. I'd love to talk to you. We're always looking for more guests on the show. Again, it's all about giving voice and raising awareness. Together, we can make a difference. So thank you again so much for your time today. As always, I would like to remind you just to focus on the three simple things that can change the way you give care. Remember, are they safe? Are they happy? And are they pain-free? You can get your free memory chip tool at www.alzheimerspeaks.com or you can also go to YouTube and just pull that particular um, video up and it will explain how to use the tool. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day. Think ahead to go ahead. Bye now. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life 
are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.